Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. This is David Addison, and this week we're going to give the whole podcast over to a very exciting project that will hit the track, indeed, in mid-August. The Ensign N180B Formula One car is going to be back on track. It will race at Brands Hatch in mid-August in the Masters Historic Championship for Formula One cars. Behind the wheel will be Johnny Herbert, and the whole project is going to be operated out of the NCME. Uh, We'll talk to the people involved, both those with a background of the car, those partners helping to make the project happen, and some of the students involved within uh, operating this car, both on a forthcoming test day at Anglesey and trackside at Brands Hatch. The Ensign N180B was a car that didn't have mega success in the Formula One World Championship, but was a championship winning car in British Formula One, courtesy of the Bolton-based driver Jim Crawford. And then, as now, overseeing it all is Bob Fernley. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. Let's start to talk then about this fascinating project, all about ground effects and indeed taking a Formula One car back onto the circuit. Bob Fernley is with me, hugely experienced team manager in Formula One and McLaren's IndyCar Assault. And this is a project, Bob, close to your heart because, am I right, you worked on this car as a young engineer blah, 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 all those years ago. Well, I'd like to say that, but actually it was probably a little less, less glamorous than that. I actually <laughs> owned the car and, and owned the team. And um, I, had, I actually owned and operated the B team for Ensign right. with Morris Nunn. And this was the car that we used in 1982 for the British Formula One Championship uh, with Jim Crawford driving, mm-hmm. which we won. So did I, I did the track engineering, though, if that's how it was. He's got a good Bolton connection. Jim Crawford, Scottish born, but was based in Bolton, yep. drove that car, and here we are at the University of Bolton. Yeah, and Jim and I both drove Chevrons before mm. we got together, you know, in terms of the uh, team, the Ensign B team. Uh, Chevron, another Bolton, uh, Bolton link, indeed, based on, on Chorley Old Road. Uh, how did this project come about, then? Well, it came about because I, I, you know, I was very honoured to have a doctorate here from the university last year. And while I was here, obviously, I, I managed to look around the NCME and, and I was absolutely astounded of, of the quality. And I thought this has got to be the best kept secret in motor racing because, <laughs> um, you know, this, this facility is as good uh, as a Formula One programme. And, and mm. in the early days of Force India, I, I would have killed for this. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I said to Mark and, and George, obviously the, the vice chancellor, that you know, perhaps we could do a program where we could help a little bit to A, get more awareness of, mm. of the university, and B, more from my side, help the children a bit, you know, the kids mm. a bit. Mm. Because you know, I come from Stockport, I was born not far from here, and I still feel there's a slight north-south divide in terms of opportunity. And um, you know, I, I was hoping I could do a little bit to help with that, which is where the project first came from. Sure. So obviously, I had the ensign still, which had just been rebuilt. Um, you know, Ken Winning, who's built it for us, actually built it new and was my crew chief. You know, for <laughs> God knows how many years. So you know, we we know the cars inside out, mm. and um, I thought it would be great for the students to be able to operate that and get some practical experience. Mm. Then, of course. We've got the new regulations for Formula One, which technically in 21 were going to be ground effects. It's mm. now 22. Yeah. And of course, this is one of the original ground effect cars. So if we look at it, that in 1982, this car with ground effects won the British Formula One championship. And in 2022, 40 years later, Formula One is going to return to ground effects. It just seemed a great opportunity to compare the two. And then we came on board with a number of technical partners with um, you know, Faro Engineering helping us with the digital scanning. And once we'd done the digital scanning, that gave us the ability to have CAD drawings and then progress to CFD. Mm. Um, but of course, you also need to be able to determine the actual numbers from the track yeah. um, to correlate it. And which evolutionary management measurements came on board to help us then with all the pressure sensors. And the car's now fitted up with some 250 sensors, which is the equivalent of any Formula One program that you would have. So in Anglesey, we will get all the real time 
correct data, which will be the baseline to check against their CFD work. And our friends at Hartree, of course, came on board as well to help us with the virtual wind tunnel program, which means that we can correlate everything fully between you know, the, the data we get from Anglesey and the real time. And then we can make the comparison in 22 when we get the data from William Tote as to you know, how does that compare to 40 years of difference between ground effects. So it was a fantastic mm. program for the students. People listening to this might think, oh, you know, a Formula One car from the early 1980s is not that exciting. But actually, where else can you go, really, to learn about ground effect? There's a whole yeah. generation of people that have missed out on that from 1980 onwards to where we are now. Well, absolutely. And that's why, it just by chance, it just all fitted together yeah. and became a wonderful opportunity. And then, of course, you know, it doesn't have to stop there because, you know, once we've got the correlation right and the CFD is right, then, of course, the next generation of students could actually develop new underwings and we could yeah. try those and see how it all works. So they can actually do real-time checking and it's relevant to Formula One going forward. With all this extra technology that you've got, do you look enviously almost because to a degree you're getting a better car now than you had all those years ago well we didn't know what we had years ago. <laughs> <laughs> i mean literally it was you know a finger in the wind yeah. uh, to a degree so i mean the cad drawings that we received as a result of the uh, digital scanning um literally was the first cad drawings we had so uh, i mean we've got manufacturing Amazing. drawings yeah. for the components but nothing like to the level so we'll actually learn for the first time what a a uh, 40-year-old ground effect car is actually going to do. But all that said, yes, technology and progress is a wonderful thing. One of the, the, the downsides, perhaps, is that almost without exception, a modern grid of Formula One cars all looks the same. If you go back to 1980, 81, you could tell off the shape what a Williams was or a Brabham or an Ensign or an yeah. ATS. That's gone. Yeah, but it's also gone because technology has moved on so fast mm. that everybody's coming to the same conclusions. Yes. Whereas, of course, in those days, we didn't know what conclusions we were coming to in the first place. <laughs> it was an era when ingenuity had a, a part to play, Yeah, I mean, literally, you could go to a race meeting and put something on a car, and it would either be a disaster, or you could find a second, you know, in yep. lap time. And, and those days are gone, you know, mm. because now you're looking for hundreds of a second from a development program. Sure. Something else I want to ask you about is BAME. Uh, I know that you and, and Jonathan Kendrick of Rokit are, are behind a, a new initiative to find specific BAME engineering talent. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it, I have to be careful because as much as, as, much as I, uh, you know, what we've, we've moved across to the BAME element of it, it is about underprivileged children across the board. Right. So, you know, for me, if I go from where I was brought up on a council estate in, in Brillington, Stockport, mm. you know, whether you were a you know, a black kid, an Asian kid, or an English kid, you've still got the same problems. Mm. So what we want to do is we want to, give the, we want to give underprivileged kids the opportunity across the board, and, you know, no gender-specific either. What I'm looking for is the ones that really want it. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is if they've got the basic qualifications, Jonathan and I are looking to try and put some sort of program here together where we can maybe put some bursaries to okay. help them mm -hmm. come through and do some of the STEM programs, and that's the next phase of it. But it, you know, it, yes, it's BAME, um, but it's, it's fundamentally underprivileged. What we're looking for is to give people a, a step up where they wouldn't normally get that. And, and uh, it, to me, it's more about how much do they want it mm. rather than whether they're black, white or Asian. <laughs> and where are you finding them from? Is that from as they apply to the NCME or, or go back a stage to colleges or go back a, a stage further and, and still at school? I, I think what we've got to do is we've got to be guided by the university in, mm -hmm. in terms of determining what, what their requirements are and once once we know what the qualifications would be then that can go out to the students those that qualify that that need the help mm -hmm. can then apply and then we could have a committee of some description to determine who's awarded the the bursaries sure and jonathan's very keen on that too because mm -hmm. like me he comes from a similar background right and we're both keen to give kids that, that little lift up that they, that they need today. And I think it's even more relevant today than it's ever been. Sure. Let's just finish off with the end sign. Johnny Herbert behind the wheel. Um, yeah, God forbid. Well, I was going to say, does that fill you with dread or joy? <laughs> <laughs> it fills me with a great deal of joy, actually, because Johnny <laughs> reminds me very much of Jim Crawford. Right. You know, very, very understated, mm. incredibly talented driver, and very, you know, very British bulldog spirit type yeah. of thing in the way yeah. he does things so for me it's going to be a thrill having johnny behind behind the wheel um 
I, I might regret it later on if it's <laughs> somewhere else. But um, I did say to him in Anglesey that, you know, because of the COVID thing, the, um, the grass has not been cut so well. So I said, well, it might help him keep on the grey bits. <laughs> <laughs> We've got this race at Brands Hatch planned in mid-August. What then? Because I can imagine that you all get a taste for this and the competitive spirit within everybody wants to go and do more of it yeah i think i think the beauty of it is is we've got a car with the nine you know with the with the ground effect car that fits a certain period and we can continue on the aero program for quite some time with mm. that and we can still use that from a competitive point of view and and obviously jonathan's behind a lot of this as well um, with, with the rocket program we, we're looking at trying to put something a little bit different for next year and if we could We'd, we'd like to bring in the third ensign that, that's in the stable, uh, and that's a 78X Derek Daly car. Okay. And um, that would qualify for the Monaco Historic Formula 1 race. Mm, mm. So we're thinking of doing a program around that. But I want to try, I've got a, a few ideas on an innovative technology program that we'd like to link it with that, because I don't see the point of just going for racing for racing's sake. It has to have a scientific side for the students as well. Final thought, when you look at how Formula One has moved on over the years, can you believe that 40 years on we're going back to ground effect? Um, <laughs> probably not, actually. <laughs> um, but then you, you never say never in Formula One. You True. never know where it's going to go. But it makes sense because, you know, the ground effect's a stable, a more stable environment from a, from a, from a downforce point of view. And if you remember back in the, in the 80s, some some... Uh, the Formula One cars didn't even have front wings. No, true. You know, they were, and, and it's that stabilising effect that they're trying to get so that you can get close behind the car in front, which hopefully promotes overtaking. So I can understand exactly why they want to go down that route. It's going to be fascinating. Bob Fernley, thank you very much. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. The most important part of all of this is going to be the man behind the wheel. Johnny Herbert is going to be back behind the wheel of a Formula One car, and he's taking this very seriously indeed. Johnny spoke to us remotely while testing at Anglesey a few days ago. Motorbotics. Johnny Herbert, Le Mans winner, three times a Grand Prix winner, broadcaster, and now at the ripe young age of 56, you're a Formula One driver again. How does it feel to be back? Very nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's. I've missed it. I didn't think I would, uh, and now I'm finding out I, I did. Uh, and it's great getting in a car. <laughs> yes, it's a car from sort of the early, mid-1980s, but that's what's lovely to be able to drive these types of cars. I've never driven a ground-effect Formula One car, so this is my opportunity, obviously, with the rules changing. Uh, for 2022 so it's yeah it's just brilliant Bob Fernley obviously from Force India days has been able to get the car together it's been wonderful with the University of Bolton and the youngsters and the crew that we've got to have prepared the car and uh, I have to say they prepared it very very well thank you whose idea was this how did this this deal come about who do you think? Bob. Bob Fernley. <laughs> the redoubtable Bob Fernley. It was, yes, it was Bob who sort of mentioned that, yeah, he's got, he's got a, a good, I've got a bit of a plan, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> I've brought out a few things, uh, but I'll get back to you. And then, and then I was trying to, oh, why the hell is he talking about? And then, of course, I should have put two and two together, that it was obviously to get a Formula One car back on the track and a car that he used, obviously, with Jim Crawford in the British mm. F1 uh, series, which they won together. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, it's, it's, it looks lovely. Really does look lovely. It's comfortable in the cockpit. So so far, we're, we're having a, you know, a good time, which is really, which is really important. As you say, it's a very different sort of Formula One car from those that you raced. Can you liken it to something that you have previously raced? You know, is it similar to a, a Formula Three thousand car or a big Formula Three car, for example, or is it completely different from anything? Well, I think it's probably a bigger sort of f2 as they are today mm. um it's 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 a bit different because of the power is nowhere near as big as a modern day formula one car and even when i was driving maybe in my stuart jaguar days i think we were very close to that 950,000 horsepower where we've probably got around 500 maybe something like that five five fifty mm. i would guess mm. so you can feel sort of that lack of power if you want to call it that but the actual yeah. the driving experience is it's very similar. It's like anything. It doesn't matter what speed you're going to get to that, to the edge is always the challenge. So, and that is what we still have at the moment. Again, it's not exactly as it was when it raced in the, in the early eighties. Of course they had skirts and the skirts used to sort of seal the, mm. the side of the car. And then the Venturi really did work, uh, in an amazing amount of grip. 
but I'm amazed with the amount of grip that it's that it does still produce. And you can still ha- ha- hassle the car, you can wrestle it through the corners, and it responds to your input. It's not trying to fight you. It's not like a modern-day Red Bull that seems to be fighting <laughs> Max, Max Verstappen at the moment. So that's quite pleasing to know yeah. that, you know, she's, a, she's an old girl, but... She has still got a lot of life left in her, and, I, and, and at the moment, I'm thoroughly enjoying enjoying the experience. We haven't quite pushed it yet to the limits, but the feeling I get at the moment, I'm, I'm feeling very confident that she will she will deliver. When you look at the car, given its age, we were talking what 1981 for this chassis. Do you look at it and think? Um, gosh, it was basic, how did they get away with that? Or do you look at it and think, actually, for its age, that's quite clever, that's quite advanced. Where, where do you stand on it? Well, it is exactly what you latterly said. It's, it was the most advanced technology of the time. You know, you go to the 60s and it was sort of made of sort of tubular chassis. Uh, then it became sort of the monocoques came in, into effect, the aluminium. And then this particular, the 180B uh, enzyme I've been driving, it's got actually a little bit of a carbon floor mm-hmm. underneath. And then I think in 1983, they actually went full carbon. Um, so it was just going through that sort of those changes and the way the way that technology always advanced and carbon fiber in the in the early 80s compared to carbon fiber in 20 you know 2020 is completely different because the the know-how of how you wrap it how much glue that you sort of put into uh, the wrapping of a chassis compared to when I had my crash in Formula 3000 they put a lot of glue into the chassis to make it stiff for what you want as racing but the problem is with glue it's like glass so when you hit something it shatters Mm. now they have hardly any glue in it there are areas where they wrap it in a certain direction with certain types of carbon fiber so it's all very specific which it never was it's just you sort of got carbon fiber and sort of just slapped a load of glue on and and sort of bit like fiberglass and just laid it onto the chassis so things advance and I look at it and, you know, we sit a long way forward. You know, the the first, actually, the first lap I got, because the wheels are quite close to me, because we sit so far forward in the car, that was a little bit different mm. experience-wise than I've, than I've had before, because always the wheels are, you know, a fair way in front of my, of my eyesight. But they're there. <laughs> they're right next, They're in the cockpit <laughs> with me. So, so that makes it different. And then you see there's only a little bit of aluminium, uh, at the front of the car, which is the protection that you've got, and mm. you know aluminium as as good as it was in the day. Of course, it's 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 always in an accident point of view is always quite soft. So it, mm. it just you know it just sort of sort of um, uh, compresses very easily at the front end. So you know that's there, but then you've just got to be sensible when you're driving the car. So does it put me off? No, it doesn't, because I think <laughs> it's just lovely to be able to drive a bit of history. It's a great thing about history like this is that it was from an age where the designer could make a huge difference you know that 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 inspiration that ingenuity um and his protractor and pencil rather than the car going into a wind tunnel we had different shapes of car that you could identify and and it really was a golden time wasn't it yeah it was you know and and the enzyme itself it was mo nunn who sort of Mm. with his design team designed this this particular car and he went over to america with Chip Ganassi, and that's when Alex Zanardi went over and they won the championship together. So, you know, Mo had a, had a great journey. And uh, this is one of those cars that, you know, Mo put together and it was successful. Mark Sura got a fourth place in 81, a sixth in Monaco, I think it was, and Elicio Salazar got a sixth in Zandvoort. So the car wasn't actually a bad car at all. So that's no. nice to know. And, of course, then Jim Crawford winning the, the British F1. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nice, that history, and it's nice it's a British designer as well. We moan that. Uh, you've had some time now to, to see the University of Bolton, the NCME, and, and work yeah. with the students. Uh, what are your impressions on the facility and indeed the, the skill set that you're now working with? Well, it's it's brilliant. It's it's great to see another sort of motorsport university, you know, taking on this type of project. It's great that the the young crew that we've got are very enthusiastic. They've got a little bit of motorsport background, uh, and I think uh, that's always a good thing because I think that sort of makes the uh, the mentality the right way round and you know it's been you know we're here it's the first day for them mm. and they've settled in brilliantly I was probably thinking because it's new to them there'd, there'd be a bit of panicking rushing around like sort of headless chickens but no no no, no. <laughs> they are very calm 
and very much sort of doing exactly what they they need to do they're listening to what everybody's saying and i think that's it's working brilliant so it's great seeing these these youngsters having a having a chance of working on a formula one car it's great the university of bolton has sort of helped sort of start that process and hopefully this is the start of of good things and i know bob fernley's working very hard to try and yeah. you know expand uh, on what we have today you're going to race this car at Brands Hatch. It's a place with, with mixed memories, I guess. You know, that great Formula <laughs> Ford Festival win and, yeah. I hate to mention it, the accident in Formula 3000. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's a place near to your heart for many reasons. Yeah, it, it is. Yes, there, there were good days and, yes, there were bad days. But you can probably go to any track and have those one. Yeah, I mm. had my, my sort of big accident in Formula 3000 in 88. But I go back there with a lot of sort of fond memories. Um, and the track is awesome. It still is, you know, the little changes of Dingledale, for example, which changed uh, a good few years back. Yeah, it's still got a wonderful challenge. You know, it's all quite lovely out in the Grand Prix circuit within sort of the forest. You know, it's sort of relatively narrow uh, to many res- in many respects. But that's the challenge I always liked. And it's, and it's interesting talking to some of the modern day drivers like Lewis, Max, Charles Leclerc. They would love to have driven on these types of track, which is so nice to hear that they would have, you know, wanted to sort of be challenged by the old school tracks, uh, which sadly we don't go to to uh, too often uh, at the present time. So actually it's going to be very good actually going to Mugello this year. Mm. That's a very old school track. It's going to be mighty quick. But that's where these these types of drivers, as I just mentioned, sort of... um, sort of inspire me to sort of carry on in many respects because it's lovely hearing that it's lovely watching what they do on the track and then going mm. back to brands hatch it's it's going to be a, a hopefully a lovely sort of challenge for all of us who are going to be involved with it hopefully we can come out with a nice uh, result of it uh, as well and that's what i'm always my 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 competitive competitiveness sadly hasn't waned at all ah, <laughs> well, i was going to ask what the expectations were still yeah very high <laughs> <laughs> so you're going there for a win yes indeed. definitely we are <laughs> collectively johnny herbert good luck for brands hatch thanks for talking to us great thanks Motorbotics, the podcast of the national center for motorsport engineering at the university of bolton A project like this, of course, needs the involvement of the NCME's students. Scott Cowan is one of the lucky students involved in this. This must be a really big thing to get you out of bed in the morning and and come to the university. Yeah, I've never been up so early so often (laughs) in my life. Never. Uh, How did you end up doing this? Did you just stick your hand up as a volunteer or did the Um, university come and, and look at what students had what skills um so I, i've been uh, lucky enough to be involved in a few of the university's projects and uh, a few of the teams that have been uh, involved with them and uh it's more um i was i was a known quantity i was <laughs> I, I, I had a track record of knowing uh mechanically and engineering um pro not prowess that makes me sound too fancy um but a bit of background I, anyway. and a background knowledge yeah. and uh, yeah um, and then they needed uh, the sensors mm-hmm. and, and all of that, um, a student to be involved with that. And I personally have done a lot of uh, data stuff, okay. uh, data engineering with um, British GT, um, a, a, a t- touch on touring cars and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was kind of a, a natural progression to, for me to be hiked up into that. So British GT, British Touring Cars, and now Formula One. Yeah. And you're still at university. This isn't a bad CV, is yeah, it? Only at 20, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I jumped at the chance to get anything Formula One on my yeah. CV. Are you coming at this with a motorsport interest and background or an engineering interest and background? Um, or a bit of both? A, a mix of both, a, a healthy mix of both, I, I mm-hmm. hope. Um, I, I've enjoyed working with teams. I enjoyed sticking tires on. I enjoyed doing brake pad changes right. but also enjoy sitting on pit walls and <laughs> also enjoy designing things and mm-hmm. doing CAD and running the numbers to figure out what will make you go faster when you're at the circuit. Are you taking extra elements from this project? You know, you now, for example, aero, ground effect, CFD. Are you thinking, oh, didn't know about that. That interests me. And maybe looking at that as an area to focus on. De- definitely. Yeah, the, um, the cars I've mainly uh, had been able to focus on have mostly been mechanical grip and obviously this being a ground effect car mm. it's hugely balanced towards uh, aero and, and aerodynamic grip um, so this is a, a completely new area for me 
um, and uh, I'm eager to learn everything and anything I can from sure. the great minds that are working with us. So uh, there's a film crew following all this. There's a Formula One Grand Prix winner, a Le Mans winner behind the wheel. Yep. Uh, there's sort of nowhere to hide for you guys, is there? Uh, no, but <laughs> I guess uh, in the spotlight, I guess we're <laughs> going to have to be uh, going to have to be uh, comfortable with that and just don't make any mistakes. It's an amazing course, this, isn't it? The people involved, the project, the placement. Yeah, it's 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 something special. I um, in Scotland, there's there's nothing like this. Mm. There's there's no there's no motorsport courses. Um, there there's motorsport projects within uh, regular engineering courses, but uh, I I jumped for joy when I heard that um, motorsport was a degree you could do, and you could go and work with race teams, and you could go be trackside, and you could design things that go on race cars. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just every, everyone I told about the course said that that's for you. Um, Where do you want to go ultimately? Is Formula One the dream? Sports cars, GT, or I? Yeah, I, I have I have many ambitions. Um, <laughs> I'd, I've not quite put a limit on where I, where I want to 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 be. Um, I definitely want to get into race engineering eventually, mm-hmm. but that takes uh, a significant amount of knowledge and experience uh, from both um, mechanical grip and aero grip, uh, and and managing a team. I've, I, I'm still twenty. I've not been mm. uh, managing too many teams or um, anything like that uh, too much in a professional environment. Um, Eventually, I'd like to get to that level, and whether that be in Formula One, whether that be in Formula Ford, um, the the decision making and the the process is still the same. But it'd be nice to go to Monaco. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. Another of the students involved in this project is M Platt. Um, it's pretty cool, this, isn't it? Being involved in a Formula One car. It is, yeah. I uh, can't see many students doing it up and down the country. So, I bet you didn't need much convincing to get involved in this, did you? No, I think it was a case of, um, do you want to be involved? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us a bit about your background and uh, other projects you've been involved in, because you've already got quite an impressive um, list of them notched up, haven't you? Yeah, so I've been working with British Touring Cars. Um, so I've been working with the Turkey Technical team doing that. Uh, I look at ADRs, so I'm taking accident data out of the cars. Um, I've done a few projects inside of uni that have been more modular based, so uh, topological optimization and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's all been very, very good. Is this the ultimate project then? You know, it might be a 40 year old car, but it's a Formula One car nonetheless. I'd say so, yeah. Um, (laughs) I didn't think I'd be working on this scale of a project when I first came to uni, so. Tell me about the car a little bit. Does it surprise you how either advanced or basic it is for its age? Uh, it does, yeah. So I've uh, started doing a bit more of the mechanical work on it this morning because mm-hmm. before before that I was more on the, the scanning side of it, getting it into a virtual model for the computer. Um, so it has surprised me how much thought and detail has actually gone into the car okay. so long ago. So. Mm. So it's more on that advanced stage yeah. than being, if you like, disappointing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, what are you taking from this? Are there areas that you are specifically concentrating on? Or indeed, are there areas that you're being exposed to for the first time and, and generating an interest in? So there's a lot of areas that are brand new. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been able to gain training with the Faro software. Um, so that's been really helpful. Um, but I'm also taking a more mechanical side of it as well, which I haven't really done in the past. Um, so I'm getting trained off on that. So... Yeah, it's it's new, but it's also building on knowledge that I've learned in class, so I'm now actually being able to apply that and go forward. So you've got um, a Sky Sports F1 film crew following this. You've got a guy that's had three Grand Prix wins and he's won Le Mans. You've got the man that built, owned, ran the car in period and his chief mechanic. Uh, there's nowhere to hide. No, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but great people to ask questions when you're stuck. Yes. So um, the knowledge I'm going to learn from them is... Uh, going to be very valuable in the future and in fairness that's one of the selling points of the ncma isn't it you know the projects that you've been involved in the people that you're exposed to in the motorsport world added to the people that are involved in the course oh gosh yeah it's um, a massive part of it mm. you learn learn from each other and then you can go on and in the future you'll be able to say that well so and so helped me do this yes. so it, it's that way as well sure. knowing people's names do you come to this with a motorsport interest or an engineering interest or both uh, both, to be fair. Um, I did engineering and motorsport at uh, high school, okay. um, and that sort of fed me into the MCME, really. And I have to ask this, inevitably. Um, women in motorsport, 
it's a very much talked about aspect these days, positively so as well. Um, more and more and more female engineers are prevalent within the sport, which is only a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you go to a racetrack and you see more and more of us. Mm. Um, but I think it's getting to a point now that you're not the woman on the team. You're part of the team. You're a respected engineer and you have a laugh with the mm. with the lads. And it, yeah, it's great fun, to be fair. What's the reaction from the outside world? I mean, you, you say that obviously within the paddock, you're, you're accepted. But if you say to somebody in the pub, for example, that you're working in motorsport, working with a race team, um, are they surprised? Yeah, they mm. are. I, I tell them to lift the jaw up a bit. But once <laughs> um, you get talking about it, they're quite shocked at what you do and mm. quite impressed. So, yeah, it's something different, but a good different. Okay, so you finished this Ensign Ground Effect project. Look long term, where does Emplat want to be in the, the, the ultimate job? That's a very good question. I have no idea at current. Um, I plan to do a master's okay. after I finish my degree, um, but I'm just gaining as much experience as I can. So when I need to make that decision, and when I get to make that decision, I can go, do you know what, I want, I want to do that job. Um, otherwise, I don't know at the current time. So right now, it's gaining as much experience and as much knowledge as you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. It's a fascinating project, this Ensign Formula One car. Let's talk to the NCME's director, Mark Busfield, about this. A Formula One car for students to work on. I mean, it's an amazing idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty unprecedented, <laughs> to be honest. Um, this whole thing uh, started a year ago. So uh, Robert Fernley um, owns a number of these old Ensign cars and he's very kindly donated two to us and it started very much as an informal conversation. Um, he was up in Bolton last year and it let it slip. He got an ex-Crawford car, which has a great link to Bolton anyway. Mm. And would it be really nice to have perhaps the car on campus, the Crawford link, create a bit of a sort of memorial thing to, to, to Jim? And it kind of grew and it grew and it grew and to say it was organic growth was unbelievable. So it kind of got from having a car to a second car and he's now alluding to bringing a third car. So he's got a slightly older car, a 79 car. Mm -hmm. And it was really, what can we do with it? Because it started as a static display vehicle for something to look at. And it was like, well, let's do some engineering. And the long and short of it was with Formula One returning to ground effect was originally going to be next year, but mm -hmm. now it's been pushed back a year because of COVID. It was a great insight to let's try and look at this thing as when we designed it and built it in the early 80s no one really was too sure about what they were doing it was a question of people copying other people's iterations and if it was quick it worked mm. and people copied it so it would be great as a student to actually understand what it is we've got how it worked and how if you could improve that to go forward um, so we've got several collaboration partners that are going to join us on this podcast and we can talk to them about their input, what they're going to give us for the project. So, and it's, it's, it's been, dare I say, a, a moment of passion really where we've kind of seen this grow and grow and grow. Rob's um, enthusiasm for the project is great. The students' enthusiasm for the project. And our collaborative partners have all jumped on board. It's yeah. like, this is a great thing. We really want to be part of this. How can we help you? And it's, it's just the rest of the podcast, it will be fantastic to see how everybody feels about it. Another key element of this, of course, is that it's not just something that's in your uh, campus downstairs. It is going to go racing and you're going to put a three-time Grand Prix winner, a Le Mans winner, Johnny Herbert behind the wheel. Now, where did that idea come from? Was that, that's, that, that's got to be five o'clock in the bar kind of yeah, idea, hasn't to it? To be honest, um, the, 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 the story started that the car was ready and available last year. Mm. And Johnny was meant to drive the car last year. Anyway, through several things that went by the side, it never happened. So it was really, there was a box still to tick. And it was a question of, we really need to try and get this going. And, and obviously Johnny was still keen to do it. Mm. And it was really a question of how, how we can you know, bring this all to fruition. Of course, there was initially a problem of when it was going to race and if there's going to be a race. And of course, the whole calendars have just gone for a ball of chalk. But somebody somewhere must have aligned the stars. So by some miracle, we actually got everything up and running. We've had the students in campus for the last two weeks. We're testing at Anglesey next week. And the date that came up that was meant to be an overseas race has been brought forward or brought over to the same weekend at Brands Hatch. Mm. There is no Grand Prix. So Perfect. Johnny was available. So do you want to do something at the weekend? Let's go racing. So it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I would imagine that when you came up with this idea and told the students and asked who wants to be involved. Everybody put the hand up. How do you choose who's going to be involved in this? Or 
is it actually not that straightforward? Because there are going to be some students that do want to work on aero, on ground effect, yeah. others that aren't interested in that area. Yeah, so we, we've had, this project has actually taken two groups. So we have the group that are here at the moment that are running the car, and that, that is limited, and we're limited really through no other reason of the, the COVID of how many people can work in closed confines. Right. But prior to us locking down, we had uh, a series of students that were doing the reverse engineering so we're very fortunately, we had a loan from Faro, who lent us one of their scanning arms. Mm -hmm. So we've done a digital scan of the whole car. And then the students have been working on that to turn it back to have a blueprint or to have a CAD drawing of the car. So then we can mesh that and then use that in the wind tunnel. So there's two groups. So we've got the practical students who are doing all the running of the car. So in essence, it's a student-run car. We have the... Um, chief mechanic from the program back in the day who works for Robert. So he's wow. coming to safeguard the car. So he built the car new. So that's good that he's keeping his eye on obviously mm. how we're doing mm. it, ex giving all his experience to the students. Um, and then the other group are obviously going off in the parallel tangent, doing the reverse engineering, looking at the CFD, seeing how they can improve it. And that obviously comes in with the partners that we've got to obviously help us with the program as well. So, you know, with Faro helping us with the scanning, Eva Scan and Hartree as well. One of the things that always strikes people about the NCME is the expertise, the skill set that's available to tap into, not just the facilities within the university in terms of lecture theatres, computers, hardware, but then you go downstairs, you've got so many cars, so many different projects that people can work on, and also the people yeah. involved. Uh, it, it's quite outstanding. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very fortunate. As you say, we've got a great resource and we've got a great resource of personnel, mm. and, and we have also the year of many significant people working in industry as well so you know throughout the national series or international series we have people coming doing visiting us uh, doing you know master classes and also giving us their time so yeah. on the aero project for this we've got Willem Toet who, who does a numerous um, master classes yes. here on aero yes. but he's obviously overseeing this and he's like um, he's like a child you know he's you know he, he's it, it, it is ripely age that he is he's still so enthusiastic <laughs> about this and he still gives it 110 percent when he comes in here the enthusiasm that comes from the guy is unbelievable and of course the students buy into that and it's that can do you can do this you know yep. the only thing mm. that's holding you back for your career in motorsport sometimes is yourself mm. and if you believe you can do it you can go forward and do it you have a number of placements and projects mm. and also the NCME has degree courses and master's courses. Yes. Where does this project fit for the students okay, so within that? To be honest, it sits across both. Okay. So we, we don't have uh, a predefined plan that says you're only allowed to do this if you're in the second year or in the third year or, or, or whatever. So we look at the skill set that we require for all our projects mm -hmm. and we then align those skill sets to the students that want to have the experience in those areas. So it isn't an exercise of just ticking a box of you've had some experience, now go away and do something else. It's understanding what their career progression is. What we're trying to do is give the students on top of a degree is give them a populated CV. So mm -hmm. when they actually, the, the degree in essence is a, a must have to apply for many positions in motorsport. So you have to have that to be even be worthy of putting your CV mm -hmm. in. But then your CV, once it's populated with all these practical work experience projects on them, is great for the students to something to talk about, for the experience they can gain, and it obviously helps them going from the employability perspective when they actually go and get the job. You have a Formula One car with a Formula One driver in it and students operating the project. I can't wait to see how the NCME tops this. Uh, Dr. Mark Busfield, thank you very much. No problem, you're welcome, thank you. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. So we've heard from some of the people involved. Let's hear from within the classroom, if you like. Stuart Donohoe, NCME lecturer, is with me. Stuart, let's start with just pinpointing exactly what the students are learning in this project. Uh, with this, this project, the reason why this project is so good is that it, it lets them see every aspect of of the project so it, it's mm -hmm. very easy for me to talk about aerodynamics and and you know the, the theory behind aerodynamics and and how aerodynamic features and race cars work in the classroom and we do the, the science behind it and we can talk about how we instrument the car and and maybe at some stage in their university career we'll we'll do that on a car but being able to do it on a car uh, of this kind at this scale with this amount of support is really what's special. So we've, you know, a, a huge amount of sensors going on the car, yeah. uh, the sort of 
kit that only F1 teams would use in aerodynamic development. Uh, and that level of instrumentation and the the technology involved and even the, the techniques that, you know, physically, how do we put these sensors under the car? How do we wire them up? Uh, they're all skills that that would be really difficult to get normally at a university. So that's why we're, we're really lucky to have this project. Sure. Bob Fernley was talking to us a little bit about ground effect earlier. Uh, is it just an aero-based project or are there other elements that the students are, are getting it, from this? It, it's everything. You know, we're, we're doing the aero testing. We're doing the um, computational fluid dynamics. So we've, we've scanned the car. We've got a, a full 3D scan of the car, which we're going to mesh and then analyze in, in CFD. And then we're using the, the data from the, from the track testing to correlate the CFD. So that, you know, one of the most important things with, with CFD is, is the computer will tell you a number. You need to know if that number is, is correct. You know, does it tie up with the real world? So we uh, essentially can, can replicate the CFD on the track or vice versa. We can check that the numbers tie up and then we, we know we have confidence in the CFD process and then we can carry out significantly more tests in, in a virtual environment so we don't have to worry about you know, booking the track and the weather and, and the driver. There uh, speaks to team manager. You've been too well, many that's, test that's days the problem. that you have yeah, yeah. You, you, need to, um, you need to try and rule out the, the driver doing something different mm. or, or the driver misleading you sometimes. I'm, I'm not going to comment on drivers <laughs> any more than that, I don't think. <laughs> uh, Johnny Herbert, are you listening? Uh, but how much of this, joking apart, it, 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 how much of the learning really is done in the classroom compared to at the circuit? There must be something that only being on track can teach you. It's just just the hands-on, you know, the, the the skills they learn actually working on the car, you know, working, um, you know, and it's not about turning people into mechanics, it's about mm. turning people into well-rounded engineers and, yes. and a lot of the time making decisions as an engineer relies on you having, uh, having the skills that mechanics have and, and the skills that instrumentation technicians have and, uh, you know, generally we're, we're, what we're trying to do is give people skills to to back up the knowledge that that we give them in the classroom and and try and turn them into a, a well-rounded engineer who's you know ready to hit the ground running when they when they enter the job market there are people perhaps listening to this thinking about this and saying to themselves but the car's from early 1980 you know it's an old car that's not that exciting it's never been more relevant, has it? Because ground effects coming back in within a couple of years. And yeah. you then think about the people in a modern day Formula One pit lane, they're about to have to go into that new ground effect era, having missed out on the last, what, 40 years worth. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, aerodynamics is aerodynamics. Um, and, and F1 aerodynamicists, I don't think they'll have a problem with, mm. with ground effect. But the, the fact is that these cars were developed at a time when, you know, we didn't have the, the knowledge in aerodynamics that we do now. Mm. We, we didn't have CFD. Uh, they were designed based on what people, what people thought. And, you know, luckily they, they did a reasonably good job. But we still don't have any, uh, anywhere near the amount of data on this era of, of ground mm. effect. Uh, you know, this is really the first time that that this sort of analysis will have been done on, on a car of this era, which is, is just exciting. You know, oh, it, it is. is. Having got that data, yes, you can learn from it and you can see what works and what doesn't work and the reasons why. How much can you then influence the, the future of the car, if you like? Because it's now got to, to run as it is pretty much for Masters Historic Racing's regulations. It, it does have to run as it is. Um, so, so, you know, we can't make uh, major aerodynamic changes to, to anything. And, and I guess there would be some things that you might want, want to do based on the knowledge that we've gained yep. from this. But in terms of what we can do, uh, you know, running the car in the series, um, we can still get knowledge that, that you know, that a current uh, team would get, such as how the aerodynamics change when we change ride height, when we change rake, mm, mm. Uh, and that will influence how we set the car up for different circuits. There's a lot of people involved in this. You've got Bob Fernley that ran the car, owned the car, still yeah. owns the car, in period. You've got his chief mechanic Ken, from the yeah, time who, who built the car. Yeah. You've got Hartree, you've got EvoScan, yeah. you've got everybody else from NCME's staff side. 
Where do the students fit in? Because it's almost tempting to think they're going to be a bit overwhelmed to the, a degree by this. What do they do? Where do they fit in? And what difference can they make? So the students are, are doing a lot of the, the, the hard work, really. You mm -hmm. know, we've got students who've been in all week uh, sticking aerodynamic sensors on the car. Um, you know, they've, I've given them some guidance and, and we've had lots of discussions about the best way to do it. But, but everything they've done has been their work and... Okay. They're planning their decisions. Uh, in parallel with that, we've got another team of students who are, you know, working on the setup of the car, um, who've been rebuilding it, fitting the engine, fitting the gearbox, changing ratios, um, and they'll be running the car at the test and running running the car at the event. And then when we get on to analysing the data, we'll we'll have student involvement there too because uh, it's you know, aside from the fact that it's probably too much work for just mm one or two people, um, you know, this is their project. There's no real point in us doing it for us and, and just having a nice thing to talk about. This is, this is for the students to do so they can put it on their CVs and, and, you know, put it on social media, which I'm sure they will be doing. And it must be, and let's face it, you're not short of exciting projects, but this must be one that really excites them. Completely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, anyone who's got any interest in, in Formula One uh, will you can't help but be excited by this, I think. What are you hoping to get out of this? Because on the one hand, you're trying to teach the students, you're trying to nurture them, develop them, get them ready for yep. the, the, the real world and a job. On the other hand, there's a racing car in a race that you want to see win, presumably. Absolutely, so yeah. the racer yeah. in you must be thinking, we want to win this. Yeah. Are you thinking results? Are you thinking students? Uh, both. I think that's fair. I, you know, I, think that, I think the students will, will gain a lot from it either way but obviously we want to win you know the, the students want to win too motorbotics the podcast of the national center for motorsport engineering at the university of bolton let's talk to some of the partners involved in this project we'll start with evoscan paul crowhurst is with me and we'll go right back to basics here What's EvoScan all about? So EvoScan is a, a product that we produce from our company, Evolution Measurement. It's a, it's a trademark brand of a, a range of instrumentation that we're producing. Okay. Uh, we have uh, a lot of experience uh, in fluid dynamics measurements that can vary anywhere from something like a wind turbine to a, a vehicle body uh, or a, a rotorcraft or a, an air, air, aircraft body or a bridge or anywhere where there is fluid movement. Uh, we've been involved in that field for... Uh, probably 15 or 20 years okay. um, and uh, started producing the EvoScan product uh, about two or three years ago. How do you measure this data? We are, from our experience, uh, we've done a lot of our work in the wind tunnel environment or gas turbine environment um, and the instrumentation that's been developed for that over the last 30, 40, 50 years uh, is fine in those environments but as you get to a, a fast-moving uh, application environment like you have with a, a single seat racing car that starts to become more difficult the mm. instrumentation is not really designed for that kind of application and wouldn't last very long you put a traditional wind tunnel type instrument uh, into a formula one car and it probably won't last a lap um, so our product has had a lot of the things that it doesn't need um, taken away mm -hmm. from it and we've instead made the uh, the product that much more robust and able to stand the rigors of those kinds of environments so we now have instrumentation on its second or third season in uh, in formula one still running on the uh, on the cars yeah. you put a car in a wind tunnel and it stays there and the air flows over it now how do you do that or how do you recreate that on a, a circuit if you want to actually run the car how do you bring back that data that way very very difficult and this is where it starts to become uh, <laughs> become real <coughs> um, this is really where the challenge starts um, yeah. and, and, and a Formula One car is one of the toughest experimental areas or environments anywhere in the world um, anywhere on the planet um, uh, everything is moving very fast there is a lot of vibration there's a lot of temperature fluctuation uh, fragile instruments don't tend to take too well to a lot of those things so we've had to uh, do a lot of work to uh, make the instruments that much more robust and suitable for that environment. Uh, the instruments that we produce um, have inbuilt pressure and temperature sensors, so we can measure pressures, but we then need to correct for the local changes in temperature. Right. Uh, and then we digitise the signal and send that back to the, uh, the, the, the data collection unit. 
I get how this is going to help a modern car or <clears throat> a car that's not yet built because you're trying to make it the best shape, the most aero-friendly, the fastest. Here's a car that's been designed, it's been built, it's been raced, it's been restored, it's racing again. You, you, you can't alter it too much, can you? Uh, we can't, but that's not necessarily our objective here. There's a there's a fantastic opportunity to help students learn about modern instrumentation. Right. Uh, there's also a great opportunity to go back and have a look at a vehicle that was developed with high aerodynamic effect on it. Having ground effect um, was was a very unusual thing back in the early 1980s when this car was mm. was developed. Uh, there was wind tunnel testing at that time, of course, uh, but the you, there wasn't the instrumentation available to go and validate that information out on the track and yeah. that's really what we're looking at here when you've done this when you've looked at some of the data are there areas where you look at it and think oh that's impressive from 1980 and <coughs> also bits where you think oh blimey that's a horror story <laughs> how did they get away with yeah, that exactly. then? i think there's likely to be a lot of that this is going to be interesting <laughs> for everybody because nobody's ever done anything like this before mm. Um, mm. but for sure we're all going to learn an awful lot and of course the other part of this is there's a lot of computational fluid dynamics uh, analysis mm. work being done so that team will bring up a projection of what they or how they expect the vehicle to behave and what sort of data they're expecting to see and then we'll tell them what it really looks like. It must be fascinating to be involved in this. Uh, it's a fantastic opportunity. Mm. Uh, we, uh, we do a large amount of work within the university and research sector, uh, not just here in the UK, but also across uh, large parts of Europe. Um, and to have the opportunity to get involved with a project like this is really something quite special. How much involvement do the students have? Because obviously you're bringing your company's expertise to this and, and years of, of knowledge of how to do it and where to place these little pressure pads to get all the readings and so forth. But the students are learning. So where's the correlation? Where does it all fit? How does it fit? So we can grade how fast they learn or control how fast they learn. Mm -hmm. but really, uh, modern day aerodynamicists love having this kind of instrumentation around because it makes their life so much easier. They can concentrate on really getting to the bit of uh, information they, they want to have, which is the, the data coming out of the pressure scanner. Um, what we can do is control just how much the students see, so not to make it too easy for them so that they learn a lot of the the fundamentals but then also learn how to get the data what does that mean and and what are they going to do with the data they've got where do you go from here with this i mean you can presumably take these to any project we can do um and and this this product for us is very much in its infancy we started out really with a product that was designed for the uh the single seat motor racing mm. environment we're getting into a lot of different series around the world uh there are a lot of um different segments within the automotive uh, research vertical or market vertical uh, we're starting to cross into places like aerospace uh, renewable energy mm. um, even some hydrodynamic research work okay. at this point so there's, there's a lot of uh, we're, we're only at the beginning of that journey at this point uh, final thought impressions on the NCA, ncme and the students and the quality that you've encountered well we do a lot as i say of of work with uh, different universities around the country i think the ncme are in a uh, uh, are very much in a driving seat to coin a to coin a phrase uh, i think they have a fairly unique um setup here i've said to any number of people that i've spoken to that the, when you're driving past the, the the main building here, it looks like more like you're driving past a supercar uh, showroom than it does um, uh, a university. So I think uh, that that sends a pretty powerful signal to anybody that's thinking about becoming a student and, uh, or becoming a student here, because the, the the University of Bolton, the NCME, really do have a a unique set of, mm. of, of facilities and opportunities to offer the students. And the students themselves are of a high <coughs> calibre. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've had a, a lot of dialogue um, with them over the course of this project. Um, they A year ago, they didn't know they were going to be doing this. Um, and they're, they're getting involved with some state-of-the-art instrumentation. Uh, they're going to be packaging something like 250 different measurement points around the car. And they've had to learn to, how to do that uh, ground up. So they've responded well to that challenge, really risen to it. And uh, it's just fantastic to be working with them. Excellent. Paul Crowhurst, Levo <coughs> Scan, thank you very much. Thank you. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. Another of the partners involved in this fascinating project is Hartree. Michael Gleaves from Hartree is with me. Let's start at the beginning, Michael. What's Hartree all about? So, thank you. Hartree is a centre of excellence for high-performance computing, big data 
and AI technologies. We work closely with companies on many projects and trying to understand how these digital solutions can be applied to solve real world problems. So for instance, we'll use modeling and simulation like computer aided computational fluid dynamics in order to, to um, look at the flow of air across a car. Okay. Now, I can see where that fits in for perhaps building a brand new car because you want to create the best shape. This is a car that's been built, it's been raced, it's now in historic competition where you can't really do very much to it. So what's the benefit from either side, in a sense? Well, the real interest here is in validating the, the models that we use to, to calculate computational fluid dynamics across okay. the surface of a car. Because this car was built pre-90, pre so mm. before computational fluid dynamics was used, Within the Formula One um, industry, there's no, there's no real models that have been calculated on, on, on this type of car. Okay. So by having sensor data that, that validates the model from the track performances, we're going to test how that computational fluid dynamics, or CFD as we call it, works on the car, and then we'll build a better model. These better models can be used for new cars as well as old cars. So it's the validation of that model, the digital twin, that's really of interest to us within this project. You talk about the data. How are you getting that data back? What's on the car that allows you to, to get the information? So what happens in CFD is that the, we have an airflow across the surface of a car and you'll get, um, it will de deviate away from the surface depending on the boundary conditions mm. and also cause small vortexes off, the, off, um, off point areas with it within, the, within the vehicle. The way that this is set up, there's pressure sensors, 256 of them, I understand, that is pressured all across the car. Okay. That will give you the pressure sensor readings on the point surfaces of the car that allows you to then see the, the, the flow of air across the surface. And by doing that, we can, we can really get into the detailed validation of that model. So where the car leaves the surface, where it touches, how hard it touches, and really feed that information back into the model to make it as good as it ever can be. It's outstanding. And then presumably you can use that on other projects in the future and certainly that learning that learning can be embedded in, in in the model of the system in the code and we'll use that you know not for this project but with all future projects where we're looking at these types of techniques where do the, the, the students fit in with this because i would imagine you've got to teach them a bit about understanding the data as well as getting that data yeah so so we have a virtual wind tunnel um based simulation which which acts as a wind tunnel so it replicates the computational fluid dynamics across the surface of a car in a wind tunnel we have that operating on our systems what we're doing here is giving the students access to that platform so they can mesh the car embed it into the system and we'll support that process we'll also look at um creating digital 3d visualizations of that system that will work within um, within headsets and the like that you can use to look at the, the flow across the car and get that insight. Um, so what we're doing is enabling those students to gain access to the world's best kit and then run those simulations themselves where we're teaching them to, to do this work and hopefully they'll go into the Formula One industry and perform similar work in the future. Are you seeing students having their eyes opened, if you like, to an area they didn't really know about before and, and perhaps looking at that maybe as, as an area they're going to focus on for their futures is it captivating people so i i, I hope it we hope it captivates mm. uh, it ca digital always captivates me and that's why i work in 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 this in this area i mean what we need to do is is make those tools available and and make that learning and that understanding and that capability mm. available to, the, to to these students and and really drive the efficiency of them working within this space and giving them tools to compete in the 21st century much of this type of work will be done digitally in the future. One of the other fascinating things about this, and, and Hartree particularly, is that you're not necessarily a motorsport, motor racing company. You know, you can turn your, your skills to laundry products even. Yeah, so, so, so Hartree works mainly in the three areas of healthcare and life sciences, engineering and chemistry and materials. And right. I, one example is, is we, we work closely with Unilever, which, um, which has got an R&D site in Port Sunlight. And we make digital um, versions of shampoos using a technique called disparative particle dynamics, which creates the soft, creamy feel from salts, fact, and, and water, which you get in your shampoos and, 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 and simulations. It's the same process. Is what, what we're doing is creating a digital twin mm -hmm. of a product and helping them manufacture that faster and better, giving them that insight, that digital insight into the molecules and how they act. 
So, and that's what, what happens here as well. We'll give you insight into the flow of the airlines over the car, where they touch, how you can then modify the design of that car. And increasingly, we're starting to see artificial intelligence embedded into that workflow. So you can use techniques like Bayesian optimization to design the surface of wings. And ultimately, you're helping, I suspect, produce a better car now than it was when it was originally built. That's the benefit of technology. <laughs> By believing it and integrating it into your business, you can succeed. Michael Gleaves, thank you very much. Thank you. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton. That's it for this edition of Motorbotics. Next time, we'll catch up with more of the NCME's students and talk about their placements and projects. Uh, we'll talk to Mark Higgins about winning the British Rallycross Championship with the Peugeot 208 run by Albatech Racing and NCME students. And we'll also rewind to when the NCME got involved in the Spa 25-hour Fun Cup race. For now, though, from the team, from me, David Addison, it's goodbye from the NCME. Motorbotics, the podcast of the National Centre for Motorsport Engineering at the University of Bolton.